Broadcasting from Chico, California, this is the Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast, where we discuss NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fishery science and management, conservation, and more. Know better, fish better. Here's your hosts, Chad Alderson and Nick Hanna. This episode of the Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast is brought to you by California Trout. Working throughout the state to ensure we have resilient wild fish thriving in healthy waters for a better California. Support Caltrout's innovative science-based work by becoming a member or donating today at caltrout.org. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Hanna. Chad, uh, Chad's in a meeting and he'll be joining us uh, shortly. Um, I have uh, three guests today. Mike, Mikey Weir, Sam Cedillo, and Patrick Samuel, um, all of Cal Trout and Sam's, uh, Sam's of Trout Unlimited. Um, welcome, guys. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. For having us. Yeah, hey, no for, problem. Thanks for having us. No problem. Thanks, you guys, for, uh, for joining uh, via conference. Um, we apologize to the listeners for any audio or, or mess-ups today, but we have some uh, some. Uh, information we thought was pertinent just based on the things going on in California right now that we wanted to uh, go over with you guys, mainly in regards to the, the fishing regulations in, in California. Um, before we get into that, I just wanted to um, make a quick announcement. Caltrout, our main sponsor, um, is hosting their annual gala and auction on May 1st at 7 p.m. this year. Everybody's invited, invited which is fantastic. Um, given the current shelter in place, they've shifted the live to a live stream event where they'll creating a, um, the same excitement, sense of community and celebration with, with an online auction raffle and, and updates on their work across the state to ensure healthy fish thrive in healthy waters for future generations. Uh, visit caltrout.org forward slash trout camp 2020 to register today and, and, uh, for more details. Mike, do you want to, do you guys want to, or Pat, do you want to add to any, any of that? No, I think you summed it up pretty well. We'd, we'd love to have you join us if you're able. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, and from what I understand, the, um, some of the, the auctioning is already, the silent auctions already taken place, uh, yesterday, right? Did it start yesterday? Yeah. And I, right. I would, uh, I would definitely encourage people to check out those auction items and, and bid. And, and if you can, um, join the, the live stream and make a donation to Caltrout. Our gala is our biggest kind of private money fundraiser for the year. And, um, those unrestricted funds are really important, uh, for the maneuverability of the organization and allows us to do things like recovering today and, uh, take our time to deal with issues that come up around California, like dealing with these regulation changes and these um, closures and stuff like that. It, 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 all that stuff helps uh, keep us moving along. So thank you for the support. Awesome. Well, before we, before we dive into all this, um, just want to ask you guys real quick, since it's kind of uh, it's what we do almost on every podcast, except as of late due to the, the shelter, but um, have you guys been fishing at all? Mikey, we'll start with you. Yeah, I've been fishing my local waters a little bit, then uh, sneaking out to the local watering hole. Haven't really been um, traveling too far, obviously, with the uh, uh, current situation happening around California. Um, so really taking the opportunity to explore the home waters and uh, keep it local. Which what's it, uh, what's it like out there? Is it is it crowded? 
Uh, not the places I've been going. Um, I've been uh, in the in the foothills here, where I, near where I grew up, and um, it's been pretty pretty quiet around here. Um, none of the places I've been going are really places that are on the radar uh, as far as places that you know really get crowded anyway. So it's been um, pretty mellow so far, really. Yeah, as opposed to you know the trucking. You're right. I, I, yeah. I've been here, and it's just you know some places that are near more urban areas are getting uh, some usage for sure. Yeah. Uh, locally, I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as Patrick, you know, um, we have a one year old in the house and both Nicole and I are working from home. So we're juggling our jobs and, and uh, daycare and all this at the same time, which a, a lot of people um, across around the world are doing. Um, so it's been tough, tough to get out and, and do any fishing, but where I, I have gone, it's been, it's been busy. It's like almost every day is, is Saturday, right? There's just a lot of people, um, out on the water where, where it is open. Um, so Pat, I don't know if you, have you been out fishing at all? Uh, maybe Sam, maybe Sam's been, and Sam's been moving into a new house. So you haven't been probably fishing at all either, huh? No, I, so this, this is Sam. No, I haven't been fishing as much as I'd like to, but I've still been able to find some time here and there to get out around the Truckee watershed. And certainly, especially in Truckee, there's been a ton of people out recently, which is which is good. And I've observed people making sure to stay far enough away from people when they're fishing a certain run or a certain stretch where there might be a, a couple of anglers also fishing. So kudos, kudos to the Truckee anglers so far. I know people are getting stir crazy and especially since a lot of uh, you know, people work in the service industry in Truckee. I know that's been tough on them, and fishing's definitely been an outlet for them to get out and kind of escape, you know, the the fact that there isn't as much work as we'd like right now around Truckee. So, but yeah, I am moving to a new house, and we'll have a new stretch of the Truckee River down in, in Nevada to explore. Cool. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Pat, have you been in uh, the same boat as me? Just hanging low. That's it. Same boat as you. We're uh, <laughs> chasing, chasing both both little ones around, and uh, that's a full time gig in itself. And um, yeah, but but those those uh, dreams of getting out and going to fish once things are open up again are really keeping me going at this point. Well, um, thank you guys for your, for your input. And, um, we're obviously here, all here to talk about the changes in regulations. But we, before we get into that, let's, let's just briefly touch on kind of the, the craziness that's been happening, um, with current conditions of, of where, whether or not the uh, state was going to shut down fishing entirely. Um, as a lot of you may know, Washington did that, um, which is, it's just wild to me to, to think about. Um, and, and when the thought or process potentially came up for California to do so, it, it raised, uh, you know, a lot of people got pretty upset and um, the California department of fishing game decided to um, have an open kind of webinar platform where people could come in and, um, you know, give their, their two cents. Um, and, and within the first, you know, few seconds of me logging into this webinar last week, I realized really fast that it, it wasn't going to go very far, mainly because we had to mute our own lines, you know, for the, the meeting to take place. And as probably some of you are aware of, if you're in any kind of industry where you, you, you attend webinars, it's, it's 
pretty difficult to manage that um, unless you have kind of a, a mediator to, to do so. So it, it was qu- quickly quickly canceled um, after a, a lot of, of unnecessary comments by the angling community, which was, it was sad. You know, I was embarrassed on, on both sides with the whole thing and um but they they turned it around and set up another meeting the week after and i was super impressed with um the platform and and not only that but just the people that did get up and and comment mikey you were one of them um it was all it was all very professional and none of the comments which made national headlines um on the washington post um were, were ever made in this second meeting as far as as far as i can tell but we will if you you're probably listening to this me, um, podcast, we're going to have that um, meeting um, aired on our on our show, so that people that missed it can can tag in. But so before we get into the regulations, real quick, your guys' comments on on the situa- current situation of fishing in California. So yeah, with the, with the emergency, yeah. So with the emergency closure that was being proposed, there was never any intention to ban fishing statewide for any length of time, which is something that there was confusion about, especially in the early stages and on that initial call on which had to get rescheduled. And basically what the emergency regulation would allow for CDFW to do would be to grant certain counties that don't have the capacity to deal with more coronavirus cases or people within their healthcare system to temporarily postpone or shut down fishing or push back certain fishing um, opening dates to allow for them to, you know, take into account everything that's going on with coronavirus and make sure that their county wouldn't be overwhelmed based off of any sickness that was brought up by anglers visiting from other counties. So these counties were places like Mono and Inyo County, which again are, are super small and don't have a whole lot of hospital beds to begin with. So that was that was the point of it, just to allow for, you know, these smaller counties in California to, you know, deal with coronavirus and have a proactive um, response to it. And that's why ultimately it was passed. Does anybody have anything else there? Yeah, and you, you, you man, unanimously it was passed uh, without much much fight at all to give um, um, the president um, action to, to close those fisheries down or, or postpone the opening of, of trout season, which a lot of people were, were fired up about, you know, they are complaining about their constitutional rights. And, and obviously every, everybody's trying to, um, you know, put these procedures in place to, to protect the public. And a lot of these outside communities have a lot of elderly people and just not the infrastructure to handle um, an outbreak, you know, in case something were to happen. So it, it makes a lot of sense. What's interesting is that, um, you know, all these different places are starting to close. Boat launches on Lake Almanor, Clear Lake, all these other lakes where you're seeing an influx of people from outside areas trying to come in and, and, and do something, right, with whether it's their family or, or friends. And um, it's it's freaking out a lot of the people that are, are around and, and worried about them getting sick. So it's, um, it's, it's just an interesting time, and we're seeing a lot of people being upset that they feel like their rights are, are being taken away. Yeah, it's certainly an yeah, unprecedented time that, you know, we have to be flexible both as individuals and as organizations as, you know, different responses and effects take, take place because of COVID-19. Go ahead, Mikey. 
Yeah, there's definitely some opposition. Um, you know, a lot of anglers felt that the the, the shelter in place um, regulations could could really be the um, the guiding principle that kind of kept anglers from coming to those communities. That people really adhered to the travel bans and the shelter in place, and they shouldn't be driving to those places anyway. And so people felt that the um, that could be enforced more through you know, sheriffs or higher patrols or a way to, um, you know, socially discourage people from coming from out of town, you know, since all the resources were closed anyway, as far as lodging and restaurants and stuff. And that, um, closing fishing was a bit extreme and, um, you know, we, we, we definitely are, um, pro rights of anglers and, and want people to be able to utilize the resources at this time and be able to get outside and do it, you know, responsibly, but, um, also we support the decision for the, those counties to make, to decide for themselves. And, and, uh, ultimately that's, that's what happened. The fish and game commission gave the department the, um, ability to let those counties decide. So right now it's just three counties, Mono, Inyo and Alpine, but there's a chance that, um, more company, more counties could jump on the bandwagon. Um, cause you know, they, they feel that, uh, closing those counties would send some of that pressure of people that would go there to other places north, um, like for instance, Siskiyou County, you know, commented that that could be the case and are considering, um, you know, potentially pushing back fishing season. And, and to be clear, it's just a pushback right now. The ordinance only lasts till, um, the end of May. And so it would be lifted then. Um, so right now they only have the ability to push back the opener. And so the one thing that wasn't totally clear is whether or not year-round fisheries will remain open uh, for locals. And I, so I guess that's kind of to be determined. And that's one of the things that we're tracking and um, trying to figure out. Right. Anybody else want to add to that? Yeah, this is maybe one last piece is if, if you live in one of those counties that is not one of the ones that's, that's already gone ahead and requested this, from Fish and Game Commission, say Siskiyou, potentially Sierra, some of the other ones where there are popular popular trout fisheries, and you have some comment, get a hold of your local county supervisors. That's the way that you can weigh in. Awesome. Thank you guys for uh, that comment. It's Again, it's just interesting times, and a lot of people are acting in, uh, out with emotion and instead of logic, and um, it, it definitely helps to to follow all these different announcements through these through the state and to see what they're saying because there was a lot of confusion at the beginning thinking that the whole state was going to be shut down when that was never never the case um so definitely keep keep your eye out on on all these uh different changes as uh, they're obviously happening on a on a daily basis and speaking of changes let's let's just dive into uh the reason that we're all here um california department fishing wildlife is um, doing a big revamp on, on their uh, regulations. It's been going on for a while now, and, and you guys are, have been at the, the forefront uh, of it all. Um, so we'd just like to kind of get an idea of what's, what's going on. Why did, why did the CFW uh, decide to do this in the first place? Um, what changes are, are we looking at? And, um, you know, where are we at today? And where is it going? Um, so, Pat, do you want to start, start that off? for everybody and just kind of introduce the, the regulation changes to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Nick. So why are we on here? Well, Mike and I both work for California trout, as Nick mentioned, Sam, our colleague who works over at TU. And so 
two of our organizations decided to join forces like we often do whenever there's a statewide issue of interest to both groups so that we would be on the same page and, and trying to engage as many anglers, lodges, guides, all sorts of different voices we could from across our membership in California. And so the, the entire intent of this process, this is GDFW-led simplification of statewide inland fishing regulations specific to trout. So this doesn't apply to anadromous fish, but this is just trout fishing. And this isn't a new idea. This has been going on since at least 2012. And even even earlier, there, there's been a lot of concern over the years from folks, the average Joe or maybe a, somebody from out of state, even looking at California's reg book going, boy, I can't make sense of this. Even if I try, if I'm not intimately familiar with some of these special regulations, like I'm not going to know where X bridge crossing downstream of a certain highway is. So it, some of that's been pretty complex and and folks have argued for some time that the complexity of the regulations and the the breadth of the special regs we're looking at over 200 special regs just for trout fisheries in california that that was really a an impediment and and something that needed to be addressed and so back in 2012 cdfw presented to the fish and game commission a proposal to do a, a complex a comprehensive rather evaluation of all inland trout fishing in California. And the, really the, the intent um, was to do basically five things. So I'm going to read right here from, from the original uh, meeting with the Fishing Game Commission here to use the right language. The first was to maintain or increase angling opportunity, so to get more folks out on the water. We all, we all know that there's an aging fishing population in California and license sales have been declining for, for some time. And so one of the things that they'd like to do with this effort is try to get more people out on the water. And they felt that improving consistency and simplification of the regs could be one avenue to do that. So number two here is improve reg consistency across waters in the state. The third objective was to align sport fishing regs with the department's current fishery management goals and objectives. The fourth was to reduce complexity and confusion, which we've already touched on. And then number five was protect the resources. So our, our trout, wild trout resources here in California. We've got more different kinds of trout here in California than we do anywhere else in the lower 48. So we're really, we're really lucky to be able to pursue these species, but, but some are, are different levels of concern. And without going into too much depth here, there's, there are several that were on the brink, especially during drought, our critical drought, 2012 to 2017. So it's really important that we continue to protect those wild fisheries. So that's sort of how this all came about. And CDFW, as background, invested significant effort, particularly over the last two years, to help get this off the ground. So I said it started in 2012. There was a long period where it sat on the back burner. But more recently, and you may some of your listeners here may have, may have attended some of these, CDFW had eight different hearings around the state to get input from anglers of all stripes. Uh, they had two separate sit-down meetings with, with us here on this call, but, but the organizations of, of Trout Unlimited and Caltrout to really get into the, the nitty-gritty details and to talk about some of the overarching philosophies that, that we wanted to see in some of this some of this effort. And so Mikey can touch on that in a little bit. 
Um, but really that's, that's the, the genesis of this entire effort. And it's been protracted and we were working on it around this time last year, but the initial round of public comment, uh, it attracted so much comment and attention from anglers. There was something like over 5,000 public comments collected and over a hundred personal phone calls to CDFW staff members in Sacramento that they decided to take a, a slower approach and actually push back the entire effort to change the regulations over a year. So there was a lot of interest, obviously, and a lot of, a lot of public comment, which was great to help shape this process. So, with that, I'd like to pause and um, maybe kick it over to Sam to talk a little bit about what our groups have done and kind of the engagement there and the timeline on it. Yeah, and I'll, Sam, before you before you head off, I, just to comment on that, so I, I did attend one of those hearings um, up here in Northern California, and um, it was it was actually it, you know it was a very good meeting, um, a lot of guides, a lot of people attended, um, and. and it was mainly a, like a discussion between everybody about the some of the fisheries that they were they were concerned of. Their you know their backyard fisheries that saw some potential changes that you know they thought that were going to negatively impact um, the fishery. And when we, we'll go into this, I'm sure in a little bit more detail. Uh, you know, I feel for you know Roger Bloom. He's had him on the show. Um, obviously, he's got you know he's trying to. Um, increase the sales of fishing licenses and help help the department out, and then to deal with all this negative, you know, kickback. Um, I'm sure it's just a tough position, and it's um, tough to go through all these different rivers throughout the state, as you mentioned, uh, Pat. Just having all these different species and river systems to work through is it can be it's got to be really really tough. So kudos to to him for probably a lot of the work that he's you know been having to deal with. Um, so Sam, tell us tell us what um, what Caltrout and TU is, is doing. Yeah, and, and you know to echo your statement about CDFW and, and all the work that they've been doing just to do outreach. They didn't have to do the comment period, um, and that was actually a right. request that was made. Um, you know, I think by one of my previous colleagues, Dave Less, initially, and then from there, Roger went about um, setting up all the public meetings around this effort. So we really do appreciate actually being able to provide our input into it. And I, you know, definitely give kudos to them for that. Um, but in terms of what we've been doing as organizations, um, basically Caltrout and Scott Unlimited have, you know, kind of a finger on the pulse of, you know, the conservation minded angler throughout California, not only in terms of our memberships, which, um, you know, speaking on behalf of Scott Unlimited, we have about 10,000 members here in California and then Caltrout also has a large membership base, but we're also in contact with a lot of businesses that care about a wild and native trout fisheries and also other partners that do projects as well. So pretty much we've been able to um, engage CFW in the form of getting people's opinion and putting it all in, in one place and trying to figure out, you know, what's going to be best for our ability or for our wild trout and native trout fisheries in the forms of regulations that would proactively, you know, sustain the amazing fisheries that are here in California. And then also, provide opportunities for people to practice things such as catch and release, but also have fisheries that, you know, can allow for people to go in and, you know, take or harvest fish. We're not completely opposed to that. We, you know, want for those, air, you know, certain fisheries to be accessible to people who want to keep trout, but we just want to make sure that we're, 
you know, as organizations and in terms of all of the input that we've done that we're erring on the side of um, caution in terms of the, the regulations that we propose to CDFW or the alternatives that we propose to CDFW. Because um, ultimately, um, you know, in, in conversations that I've had with Patrick and, and Mikey, we, you know, us as organizations, we care about, um, you know, the fisheries that exist in the form of people being able to catch wild trout and trophy trout. And, um, you know, these opportunities can be powerful for bringing in new conservationists to California and, and are a testament to the amazing fisheries that exist in California. And we don't want to lose that. So, um, you know, throughout all of it, we've been trying to, you know, focus any of the input that we provided in the form of the sit downs that we've had with CFW in the forms of, you know, the contact that we've had with the people that we partner with. And, um, you know, I've really been able to see, you know, positive engagement both on our end and, and our partners end in it. And I, and I think ultimately the product in the form of the comments that we produced have been really beneficial and, and kind of ultimately being for the best of our California fisheries. Um, so, you know, we're, we're ultimately not done with this comment period, but, um, you know, we've been trying to rally it as best as we can and, and make it as clear and concise to CDFW why we care about the fisheries that we care about. And then Mike, you Patrick, did you want to add anything to that? I, I, I think it, I think that sums it up pretty well. Um, yeah, you know, so so far. When when are these? Um, you know, obviously they're you know still a lot of work to do. But what, what's their goal to to push this out? Did you guys state that uh, as far as a timeline or a date when they're trying to get this implemented? Yeah. So ultimately, the final decision for these regulations would be in October at the Fish and Game Commission meeting. Then, but there will be public comment meeting before that. As well, so there's still opportunity for people to comment on the regulation changes, and we can kind of sum that up at the end of the show, just to make sure that people have the ability to, you know, continually make their voices heard for this. Um, and one thing that I I didn't mention too is, um, you know, as we talk on behalf of staff with Trout Unlimited and Caltrout on this call, but you know, it's really been beneficial to have you know members that live in certain areas and know about certain waters. Um, throughout the state that have been able to kind of be our eyes and ears in terms of um, helping us understand the different fisheries and the comments that we put in. So I think that's something that has been unique to the process is we've had, you know, a ton of input from our members and they've, you know, helped us best put forward our comments for this too. Yeah, because that's something that, you know, I, I took some uh, quite a long time going through almost every river on on the regulation change, and and I'm definitely not familiar with every single one of them. But there's waters that are you know an angler's backyard that they're very passionate about. Um, for example, one of them maybe one of them's uh, a stream that flows into a lake, and and that stream gets you know rainbow or brown trout to come up and spawn during certain times. And you know obviously if, if the goal of the uh, fishing game is to extend the fishing season, make it maybe year round for a certain body of water. And there's a lot of concern by that local angler, like, Hey, you can't open this up to bait and conventional angling all year round when there's 
you know, a, a fragile system, you know, this fish spawning in this little creek going on at the time. Um, so is that kind of what you're talking about is, you know, they, they're coming in and making their own, you know, putting in their own two cents in a situation like that. And I am, and for example, I am seeing a lot of changes instead of it being the last Saturday in April through November 15th, which is kind of the standard time frame for trout fishing. Um, I'm seeing a lot of these uh, places go to Saturday preceding Memorial day through September 30th. So that's kind of protecting that spring, uh, spawning time and the fall spawning time kind of an example yeah exactly those are the kind of comments that we've hoped hope to capture in terms of you know putting forth our final comments is you know we want to you know protect fisheries through the many of tools that exist um in the form of, of what cdfw can put on their regulation pages um or regulation documents so we want to see those you know spawning fish protected through either catch and release or through closures during those times and uh make sure that, you know, the person that has had the opportunity to fish certain areas doesn't get that opportunity taken away from them, if that makes sense. Um, and yeah. hopefully, you know, we're, you know, not everything is going to be correct the first time around, but, you know, from what CDW and, and Roger Bloom has said, there will be additional uh, options to change the final regulations that are put forward in October after they're put in place, if that makes sense. So um, these regulations won't 100% be set in stone, um, you know, even after they get put in effect by the Fishing Game Commission. If something's not going right afterwards, people will have the opportunity to make further comments or uh, bring their issues to the Fishing Game Commission. That sounds like a scary situation where there's like a gray area that people could probably take advantage of, you know, like where you're, they're going to get fined or ticketed and, and based on the, what the regulation states and then, you know, there's still an opportunity to change that. Uh, is that, am I understanding that correctly? Or? <laughs> yeah, well, I think mostly what I was talking about is, is once these changes go into effect, there will be, um, they won't 100% be locked in stone or 100% be set in stone because in the future, if a regulation is not working out for a certain area, CDSW would be open to changing it in the future. So what is on uh, on the menu of tools? I keep seeing this the statewide 7.0 regulation. What, what is that? Yeah, I mean, Todd, do you want to talk about the different, the kind of the four buckets of, um, I guess, as Roger would put it, like management levers that they can pull? They, they basically, um, there's kind of four management tools that they have control over that they use to guide the regulations. Um, do you want to cover those, Pat? Yeah, yeah, I think that might be helpful. Let's uh, let's step back before we kind of get down into the weeds a little bit, if you don't mind. There's, yeah, there's so. You're, you're faced with a problem. The problem is we, we want to increase angling opportunity. We want to sell more licenses. We want to conserve these fisheries, right? You have these different objectives. There are certain tools in your toolbox as fishery managers to help do that. So let's talk about what those tools are in this menu approach that CDFW developed. And then we can, we can get down into how those different tools are applied. So. The first thing is the statewide regs that you mentioned. We'll, we'll talk about those and what they are. Those are all of those trout fishing regs, the generic ones that don't have any special um, exceptions to them. So that's that's your general last Saturday in April to November 15th kind of season of trout fishing. 
the other things they can kind of pull these different levers. We're talking about different seasons, and you already alluded to that. They're talking about, in general, in California, opening up a lot of fisheries to say year-round fishing, but then pulling some of these other levers during different seasons to help protect, say, sensitive fish, sensitive fish species during spawning or um, giving fish a rest from harvest during some of the year, that kind of thing. Um, so we've got different season dates that we can use to help protect different life stages of fish. We've got your bag and possession limits. So how many fish can you keep? How many can you have in possession per day? We've got your gear restrictions, right? That's where we get into, are you allowed to use barbless lures only? Are you allowed to use barbed lures? Are you allowed to use bait or not? And um, then we also have another tool, which is this um, the slot limits or, or total total maximum allowable size to keep or, or minimum size to keep. So those are the sort of four levers that CDFW can pull on to help tweak this and, and address a certain management objective. Um, Sam, do you want to jump in and talk a little bit about the statewide regs since that's the, the first one? Yeah, definitely. So there's two statewide regulations that are now um, going to be put into effect on rivers in terms of um, where they designate them. So there's a stream and river statewide regulation, um, which is this, this is one that actually has been a new addition to the document and something that we really appreciate CDFW doing. And this uh, streams and lakes uh, or streams and rivers statewide 7.0 regulation allows for um, a five fish trout daily bag tenant possession from last Saturday in April through November 15th. Um, and then only allows catch and release zero trout bag limit artificial with lures with barbless hooks from November 16th until that last Saturday in April. So now the new, again, the new statewide rivers and streams regulation um, has a period of rest for fish uh, that you know, live and subside in rivers and lakes, which previously it was just under the general statewide regulation, which was um, five fish take, ten fish limit year round, um, regardless of it of if it was a lake or a stream. Um, so now um, the new statewide seven point regulation for lakes is that five fish take, ten fish bag limit year round. Um, so that only exists on on lakes currently now. Um, but yeah, that was something that we we advocated for in terms of having a period of time in which fish were protected um, by only allowing for catch and release um, from November 16th until the last Saturday in April. So we really appreciate you know the flexibility for CDFW to go back and change that general statewide reg. Um, so we're, we're, we're thankful for that. That's fantastic. And, and it, just to clarify on that uh, 7.0 regulation for the streams and rivers, that, that's not including any of the anadromous uh, waters, correct? Yes, that's correct. So no, this is only having to do with inland trout, um, no steelhead or salmon waters. That's good. That sounds like a positive uh, direction in the regulations for sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd yeah, say we, that's a big win. Um, and just to kind of give a little um, backstory on that, um, basically when when uh, when they first rolled out their proposed changes, um, it was it was a big shock to a lot of you know people who are conservation minded anglers. It was really a 
they really felt like a rollback in regulations. They wanted to take um, the majority of our lakes and streams, open them up to year-round fishing with, you know, five fish limits, um, and then, you know, decrease a lot of the special regulations. There was places that have been catch and release for many, many years, like the East Carson, that they wanted to allow um, five fish year-round, you know, five fish bag limit year-round fishing, increased harvest on the Truckee, um, you know, harvest on the East Walker. You know, there's a lot of places that um, really, you know, felt like they were rolling back regulations on it. It kind of took a lot of people by shock. Um, and, you know, it, it just kind of felt like in this day and age that that, that was uh, not really the right direction to be going when all the science, you know, points toward um, a decrease in our fisheries ability to produce fish naturally and, you know, a, a more efficient pressure on more limited resources and, you know, everything environmentally seems to be working kind of in the opposite direction of, of supporting additional harvest. And um, so through this process, you know, one of the things that, that came up in our last meeting is um, based on suggestions from anglers, including, uh, you know, one of the first guys that brought it up was a guy named Victor Babbitt, who owns Tahoe Fly Fishing and has been in the business of fishing for over 26 years. And, and he sells, fly gear and spin gear, you know, does spin fishing trips and fly fishing trips, knows, you know, sells licenses, knows a lot about the business. And, um, you know, one of the things that he suggested that, you know, something I've been thinking about too, and we talked about um, in the past was that if you're going to simplify the regs, maybe break it up into um, two different buckets, have one uh, blanket rig for still waters and one blanket rig for moving waters. And, so that uh, currently there's the statewide reg covers moving and um, still waters, which really, in, you know, in reality, they're kind of different habitats. And so, you know, from the standpoint of allowing more harvest, more, you know, fishing opportunities for your average Joe and, and really being able to um, increase participation in fishing by, you know, having more people closer to urban centers be able to fish and catch fish and keep fish. Um, lakes are really our best opportunity to do that. And so we propose to open, leave lakes open year round, um, for the most part, unless otherwise noted, uh, in a special reg, places like Heenan and a few other lakes that have, uh, special regulations. But otherwise, lakes could remain open year round. Those, those habitats are where fish go to rear, um, and to grow and, you know, forage for food. The fish are more spread out, um, and, you know, majority of people that want to keep fish go to those habitats anyway and fish bait, put their lawn chair out, uh, troll in their boat, you know, um, however, whatever the preferred method is. But I'd say the, the majority of people that want to keep fish in the state of California go to lakes. And then the flip side of that is you treat rivers more like refugia um, for trout, which is kind of um, more indicative of what they are. The way that most trout, uh, their life cycles work are kind of like steelhead or salmon, but the, they use the lakes like their ocean. So they are born in the rivers, the rivers are where they go to spawn or where they're born. And then they'll, a lot of times they'll drop back to lakes to rear and live out a good chunk of their life. And then they'll return back to the rivers to spawn. And so you, we propose to treat rivers more like, um, refugia and, and have a higher level of protection for them. Um, and so I think originally it was, there was one proposal floating around that, you know, maybe we could, the blanket rate could be that all rivers would be catch and release single barbless year round fishing unless otherwise stated. 
And in doing that, then you would kind of turn the regulation book from a negative. Right now, you look at the regs and you say, oh, well, you know, your average guy says, oh, I can't fish here. I can't fish bait here. I can't, you know, keep fish here. I can't go there. I can't go there. I can't go there. And so if you turn that around and instead you listed the places, you just made the blanket roll, like everything's catch and release unless otherwise stated. And then you could say something like, you know, these fisheries um, are wild trout fisheries. They can sustain two fish per person per day, harvest. Um, you know, deemed on population estimates and server angler um, surveys and blah, 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 blah. And then these fisheries are heavily stocked. They can sustain five fish per person per day. And then you point to people, you know, to the places where they can go and keep fish. And so it becomes kind of more of a bonus, congregates the people that want to um, fish with those tactics and then, you know, protects more of like a, a brood stock spawning class of fish. Um and so we feel like it's actually a pretty great compromise that, um, yeah, and this just came about this week that the department decided to split the regs and make um, a special regulation for streams that, you know, while fly fish limits um, are, you know, it's debatable whether they're the best thing for a lot of our fisheries right now. At least there's a, a section of catch and release that gives the fish some rest, you know, some break from pressure um, and protect them, you know, through their spawning periods for the most part. So that's a huge win, I think, for conservation-minded anglers and for anglers in general, because in the long run, that's going to make, you know, fishing better across the board. If fish have a chance to, to spawn successfully, um, naturally, that's going to make fishing in the lakes better. That's going to make fishing in the rivers better. It's going to spread out more, a better, a more quality angling experience amongst more anglers. And that was kind of our whole goal as, you know, Caltrout and DU was um, to really you know, advocate for um, more quality fishing opportunities spread out amongst more people, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally does. That's awesome, guys. Good job for, for putting that in place. Uh, yeah. And Pat, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, and just to clarify, too, that that recommendation that's now, or the statewide recommendation that's now for streams and rivers was discussed in that initial meeting in, in 2019 that TU and Caltrout had. And um, we're just now now finding out about it. And it's been, again, an overarching effort by both, you know, our organizations and then also people that are concerned about the fisheries and do want to see, you know, fish fish protected at, in some capacity throughout the year and allow for them to, to have that break. And I think that's, you know, a really important thing for, you know, the sustainability of our fisheries. It's um, it's funny as you guys are talking. I just think about um, some of my own experiences, and um, you know, seeing you know, you think of lakes as being a um, a place that you can go, you know, catch a couple brown trout or rainbows or small mounts or whatever it is to to take home to the frying pan. Um, but then you know, you you see people um, keeping you know just monster trophy fish that you know, in in our minds, uh, you know, can can be the the brood stock or you know the genetics to to have more trophy fish like that available and if they're being taken out of these fisheries you know that obviously that those genetics are, are gone and, and never going to come back um so sometimes as a as a catch and release angler you can get you can become really passionate about that and get upset you know seeing a lot of this uh you know a lot of the people taking taking fish um and trophy fish out of, out of these waters um so it's it's just interesting. It always, you know, even though it's kind of one of the things that you know, if you can, you know, should you uh, type, type of thing, you know? 
Yeah, I, I can touch on that. I mean, there's, uh, you know, kind of two things I want to mention moving in that direction is, um, you know, that was one of our biggest concerns with year-round fishing uh, with fly fish limits is that, you know, these fish, all every fish that goes down to a lake and rears, um, you know, and most of the lakes in California are, uh, unless they're, you know, high country lakes or, or kind of somewhat artificial environments anyway, most of them are impoundments, you know, reservoirs or have otherwise been modified from their natural form. And so they're kind of modified habitats anyway, but um, regardless, fish go to these lakes and, and use them to rear and they get big and then they, they have to come up to the river to spawn, in, you know, in, in every fishery. And so just about every river creek that flows into a lake has some kind of spawning run. And the problem is that um, sometimes, you know, in, in a lot of years, these spawning runs of fish, are really small. You know, I know a lot of fisheries that have a really good sized river and a really good sized lake and still the spawning run might only be a handful of fish. Some years only five or six fish, you know, will come up to spawn in the creek and in some of these systems. Some years fifteen or twenty fish, you know, will be a decent run and there's opportunity to harvest some of those fish. But um just, you know, time and time again I've seen scenarios where a, a, a guy, a, a guy, or a couple guys will go down, you know, with night crawlers or bait. Guys that are really keen, um, bait fishermen, or and, and and pull, you know, four or five, six fish out off their beds, and you know, or that are staged into spawn. And you know, that's a huge um, a loss of production for that system of the year. You know, if somebody pulls out, you know, seventy, eighty percent of the whole spawning run in one or two days of fishing. Um, that's a huge hit to those systems, and so. At least the catch and release in the winter, um, and you know, help protect those those kind of scenarios a little bit more, um, and a lot of those kind of unnamed streams that fall under the general rig. And so, uh, that's at least a huge win. You know, it still allows people to harvest fish, uh, which you know is debatable how much um, harvest of wild trout our fisheries can sustain currently, and given you know current projections and trend models and everything else. Um, that fish are facing these days and, and so at least to have that season in the winter still allows allows fishing opportunity people can go out and fish for those fish but you just have to use artificial um flies or lures and single barbless hooks and um and you know release those big spawning fish which is it's, it's a win i think um and then you know on the point of trophy fish yeah it's i we really think you know it's kind of time to start moving past that mentality you know it's it's um gone is the era of of catching the biggest fish you can and you know gilling it up and taking it to, to the local sporting goods shop to get your picture taken for the wall and then taking it home to show your family and chucking it in the freezer and um it's time for california's anglers to really uh, realize that there's those fish have a greater value in the ecosystem uh for a multitude of reasons and uh i'll just touch on a few of those real quick and you know to your point i mean one of the main reasons is those fish are the brood stock the, the bigger the fish they are the, the bigger a fish is the more eggs it can produce like the bigger a female trout is um the more eggs it produces so it has a better chance of um producing more offspring um, bigger fish, you know, have more chances of spawning successfully because they can move bigger substrate, you know, meaning they can shuffle around bigger gravel with their tails, which um, can make the types of nests that can potentially protect their eggs a little bit better from high flows and turbidity and stuff like that. And then, you know, it's starting to get um, proven more through science, which is if you study nature, you'd notice this anyway, that 
the bigger fish breeding with bigger fish produces offspring that um, have the genetic ability to get bigger, you know, and really the, a, a killer example of that is Pyramid Lake where they brought back the Pilot Peak strain of cutthroat. And before that they had the summit cutthroat and they kind of just um, indiscriminately spawned them at the, at the hatchery, you know, squeezing fish together and creating kind of an army of clones. And I think they were getting up to maybe 12 pounds and then they brought those Pilot Peak fish in and they started more of a big on big breeding program where, they take the biggest ones that came to the hatchery, spawn them with the biggest ones, and now they got fish and pyramid up to like 25 plus pounds. <laughs> and so, in an artificial um, scenario, that you know is just kind of proof that what happens in nature. Um, if you ever watch fish spawn, the biggest, baddest buck will grab the biggest female and guard her and push off all the competitors, and um, for the most part, you know, pass on the the best genetics to you know the best female and that's kind of when we take away that ability for that natural selection of fish to choose their own mates we're kind of doing them a disservice and so allowing you know whether it's through regulation or just socially you know through education um allowing big wild fish to spawn with big wild fish is going to produce more fish bigger fish and you know more quality fish in the long run and so we're really promoting you know to kind of um, be able to catch those fish and, you know, if you use catch and release tactics, um, there's a pretty good survival rate on big fish like that. You know, if you catch it with a, a barbless hook and keep it in the water and let it go, you know, you can have an angling experience and take a picture of it and, you know, have a mount created from your picture and then release it back into the environment. Um, and then just the last point I want to touch on is, is really is the, also the health aspects of it. I mean, uh, all of our, rivers have suffered a legacy of mining and other um, environmental disturbances. And a lot of them have heavy metals in the system, especially our West Slope rivers, you know, full of mercury and stuff like that. And heavy metals build up in the food chain. And so uh, legitimately, the bigger a fish is, the less healthy it is for you to consume. Um, and so that's another, you know, good point for releasing these larger fish is that they're actually less healthy the bigger they get. And so it's, it's better to harvest fish in the middle. You know, most people know that uh, a, a 10 to 20 inch trout is going to taste a lot better than a 30 inch trout um, and is going to be better for you. And so um, those are kind of a few of the major points. So, you know, to your point of kind of moving away from that trophy fish kill mentality into more of a sustainable trophy fishing uh, experience in this state. And you, you kind of nailed it on the, the head, Mikey, just saying that, you know, there's, there's so many different variables that we might not even think of as an angler, you know, um, and, and the drought was a perfect, perfect example. Um, a lot of these fisheries, um, you know, suffered a little bit, but they, they also bounced back, but, you know, it's kind of our job as, as anglers in that situation to, you know, just be careful in, in that fishery, you know, like maybe if you can take fish, you know, maybe just think about it, you know, the fisher it's, it's a tough go for them right now. Maybe maybe let a, more of them go or don't go fish that area, even though you know it's low water conditions and there's fish there. You know, and, and that's happened a lot. You've seen that happen a lot in the past, like especially with the Truckee in your guys' area, you know, going to minimal flows and people, you know, getting getting their butts off the couch and saving some of those fish, pulling them out of, you know, little pools and bringing them back into the main center of the river. So I think um, I think that the England community is, is – already there you know um which is pretty cool and you sam do you and pat do you guys want to add sam i know there's some more changes i think you wanted to i think touch on 
Yeah, you know, and just to echo what Mikey said, you know, we think that the value for those those big trout in California are are definitely more, or there's more value to them being kept in the river compared to um, being being brought home to, you know, meet meet their end there. Not to say that we don't want people to take fish, but you know, I think seeing and catching a big trophy fish has a, a really big impact on whoever catches them, and really kind of drives people to want to protect them and want to make sure that those opportunities exist. Cause ultimately, you know, with, with any fishery in California, we're never, we're never guaranteed it year after to fish as well as it did the year before. So, um, yeah, I'd certainly, certainly stress the, the benefits of, of what Mikey was talking about. Right on. Yeah. Just, just to add one point to what you kind of said there, Nick, you know, another component of this is that, um, you know, the regulations are, are there, um, their guidelines, you know, set forth by the department. Um, and, you know, so that, like, like you said, even if you can keep five fish a day, or even if you can keep a 32 inch trout out of a stretch of river, um, you know, should you, and those are things that, you know, we can, we can help, um, through angler education and, you know, just kind of like if people, more people knew about, even just some of the things we just talked about, about the benefits of having those fish in the ecosystem. I think there'd be more angler advocacy, you know, to um, kind of police their own waters. I mean, just like on the truck, when, when the water got low and the water got warm, um, the locals in, enacted hoot owl closures where it was kind of more of a social thing where they just said, Hey, you know, it's really not great for the fish to be fishing this fishery in the middle of the day. Let's, let's, agree to give it a break and even though it wasn't mandated necessarily by regulation to do so it's just something that anglers did and so we are definitely seeing that movement in california there's there's um a growing number of conservation-minded anglers but um i will say that you know we're still the minority um and you know so without regulation there's definitely still a, a, a large population segment that's that's you know, still gonna, you know, kill big fish and take as many as they can and, and, you know, do everything they can up to the point of the threat of getting a ticket not to do it. And so that's where the regulations are very important. Yeah. And you guys are doing a good job at, um, ed- I think educating the public, you know, you're starting to, um, hold a lot more classes like in the Bay area. And it's, it's kind of amazing to me to think about, um, some of these younger kids and generations that, that just don't even know the life cycle of a salmon, you know, and, and the, the path that they take from the Delta, you know, to some of our headwaters. Um, and I know you guys are doing a good job at, at, at reaching out and, and providing that information. So thank you for, for, for doing that. I think it's a cool story. And I, I, I don't even think about it cause I, I grew up up here in Northern California where we were taking salmon from the hatchery and, you know, painting them, you know, and using them for, for art projects and things like that. Um, so it's just always, it's kind of been bred since from we were little, but, um, it's, it's cool to see you guys doing these outreach programs and getting, getting the folks um, educated on some of this stuff. Well, I mean, I, I will say they, they really are incredible animals and, uh, you know, I think all of us do this because we have a passion for our, our native salmonids and, you know, it's nice to work for an organization that, um, honors that that value that you know we place on on our native salmonids. i mean they really are incredible creatures i mean just the you look at a steelhead the fact that it can go out to the ocean and come back into freshwater multiple times and how quick it can go through that metaphysical change of going from um 
fresh water to salt water. I mean, there's very few animals on earth that can do that and none that can do it in that kind of time period. And most people don't even really understand the physiology of an animal being able to do that and how incredible it is. And when you think about their life cycles and, and the journey that they have to make in their lives, and it's, it's incredible. And, you know, salmon and steelhead are especially incredible, but even our inland trout and they face so many natural perils in their life. Um, from, you know, environmental conditions and, and predation and, you know, things like mudslides and floods and, you know, droughts and all kinds of things. And then you add angling pressure on that. It's, it's, it's really kind of a miracle of nature that this landscape still produces the amount of big wild trout that it does. And um, so, you know, at some point you got to kind of feel like if they make it that big, you know, it's really incredible. They've, they've done a great job. Let's give them a pass card. You know, hey, buddy, you reach two feet in this, you know, river without being able to go to a lake. That's a minor, minor miracle of nature right there. Like, here's a pass card, man. Live out your life and go, go, you know, reproduce. I mean, that's, I think it's just phenomenally cool. Sam, Pat, where, where are we at, guys, on our, um, our agenda here? Are we, um, is there some changes, Sam, that you still need to, that you want to touch on? Yeah, I, I was just going to, or Mikey and I and, and Pat were just going to mention a couple specific fisheries that we have been advocating for and, you know, still are advocating for some of them as well. But, um, you know, certainly, you know, we're, we're still involved in the process regardless. But, um, yeah, Mikey, Mikey and Pat, feel free to add. But, you know, some of the ones that, you know, our, our members, our self-staff, and then also our partners, have particularly advocated for during this process have been places like the Cloud River, um, the Upper Sacramento, the Truckee River, both in terms of uh, the main stem of the Truckee River, and then also um, some of the tributaries such as Prosser Creek. Um, you know, the Carson River East Fork, or the East Fork Carson River is definitely one that um, I know a lot of people are passionate about, um, and additionally to the East Walker River. Um, and then we've, we've seen, you know, again, with all these, we've seen some, changes um, with, with a couple of them, such as the Cloud River, Poster Creek, uh, Carson River, um, and the uh, East Walker. But there's still there's still some things that, that we feel like could be put in place to really ensure that these fisheries are, are protected. So, um, you know, those are, those are just a, a short list of some of them that I could, you know, bring up from our, our past meetings. But, um, you know, this is definitely waters that we want for people to also continue to provide input to CDFW on in terms of, um, you know, the regulations that they end up finalizing on them. I'm going to Mike your Pat, do you have any other ones that you wanted to add to? Um, Sam, this is, this is Pat. I just wanted to jump in and um, maybe give a little broader look kind of out at the state. The, the tools that we talked about in the toolbox there, we feel like are the right ones. You could you could have yeah. some really good beneficial outcomes using those tools um, if if applied if applied correctly. And there are examples where that's happened, and we've been really fortunate to, to get time with CDFW to raise these concerns, not just of our organization, but also other organizations too. Other, some are statewide, or some are local, or some are national. There, we're really lucky in California. There's a lot of fly clubs that are regionally based. There's a ton of membership, active membership that know their backyard waters really, really well. And we've heard from them throughout this entire process going back into, you know, 2018, 2019, when this was in its infancy. So we tried to represent those views and, and really bring balance to this. I mean, it's not easy. We touched on this a little bit, but let's be explicit. The trout fisheries in California are really <laughs> diverse and varied. That's why this is such a great place to live. If you love trout fishing like we do, there are 
native inland trout species that are found nowhere else on earth, some of which are pretty sensitive. There are lakes that are stocked with these large hatchery trout that uh, attain great size and have really unique life histories, like run up these small streams to spawn, but, but can, can get large in some of these larger reservoirs and lakes and act more like a, like in a landlocked steelhead kind of. And then we have these wild trout fisheries, say with, with rainbow trout that have stocking on top of them in, in some reaches of a river. And so I, I just want folks to appreciate this isn't something that's easy. Uh, one single tool isn't going to help attain a management goal for each river. And so, that's why the public input is particularly helpful. And I, I want the public and the, the listeners to know that there is an opportunity still. We'll get into how exactly you can, you can raise your voice and, and provide input on this. But, but in using those four tools I discussed, CDFW also um, made clear that there, there is an opportunity to temper those with things like safety, uh, biological, economic. Um, social, other kinds of information out there. Things like, do we want people out in the middle of winter time on the east side potentially walking on thin ice? There's a major safety concern. There's a concern about enforcement. Can we adequately enforce some of these regs in some of the backcountry areas that are hard to get to or in wilderness areas, which we're so lucky to have in, in this state? Um, it, would there be too much foot traffic in places if we open it up to year-round angling in a way that it would say degrade sensitive habitats or restoration projects that are ongoing, those kinds of considerations, the department's open to hearing. And so those regs that are out there now, the proposed ones can be tempered by some of these additional inputs. And so I just want to make that point clear that there's still a chance to weigh in. That's well said, Pat. And um, so where's the, where, just real quick, where's a good place for people to go to find these, these new regulation potential changes as we just go to the, um, Fishing Game website. Can you find it easily there, or your guys' websites have that information? Yeah, so it's it's pretty easy to find them. Um, they have a dedicated website for the inland trout angling reg- regulation simplification, and basically anybody can search that on Google, and it'll be the first um, you know result that pops up um, if they put an inland trout angling regulation simplification CDFW, um, and then from there they post all relevant documents. Um, and all updates on that page itself in terms of both the tables that they produce with previous and current regulations and also the contacts that are best to reach out to if you have any co- or comments on the regulations or questions. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend everybody go there to uh, keep up to date on those. So both our organizations also will you know, post links to this or, or post updates to this to our social media accounts and also via email. Um, so there's a variety of different ways to participate and engage in terms of getting up-to-date information. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just add that, you know, all the comments that we made were, were kind of, um, you know, based on on uh, the criteria that, that Pat mentioned. And first and foremost, you know, we, we as Caltrow, are an organization that cares about science. And so we advocated for places, you know, that we have, um, hard science to to help drive management decisions. You know, places like Fall River, where we conducted um, a large population uh, survey over the last few years in conjunction with uh, UC Davis Center for Watershed Sciences and with the department um, itself. And so we have you know population science to help guide um, management directives. And then you know the next bucket would be um, 
you know, socioeconomic. And, and so some of the recommendations we made was, were based on economics, you know, places like the Truckee that is a huge uh, economic generator for the region and places like the East Carson where, the, you know, having a catch and release fishery and a, and a take fishery, you know, um, both add to the economy of, of Alpine County and the East Walker, which, you know, uh, really adds to the economics of Bridgeport. Um, and then, you know, kind of the, the social aspects, aspects of it too, you know, places that it's hard to take places that have been catch and release for a long time and overturning them back to, you know, harvest when there's kind of a, a culture that's developed around those fisheries and guide services that depend on it and people that come from far and wide to fish there. And um, I will say in the latest draft here of the rig that CDFW has released, I mean, there's a lot of wins in here for, um, for conservation minded anglers. I mean, there's a lot of expanded opportunities for anglers across the state, you know, as far as fisheries that were uh, closed before being open a year round now, as long as you do catch and release in the winter um, and the off season. And then there's a lot of fisheries too that used to be able to keep fish that are, have gone to catch and release. Um, you know, we, we can point at some of those specific ones if you want, but there's a lot of great wins in here for anglers. And, and a lot of it were changes that were made um, based on, you know, the comments by the public, by guides, by outfitters. And so um, got to really, you know, commend the, part, the department for, uh, listening to these and, and, you know, making, you know, we haven't got everything we wanted, but we, there's been a lot of great, um, feedback and input and, and changes made because of it. So, it's, um, I, I feel a lot, um, better about this current document than I did when they, when it first came out, that's for sure. It's just, it's awesome that they even gave us the ability to, to comment on these regulation changes and, and make, you know, make, it's just, it's awesome that they even did it in the first place. They could have just stuck us with a regulation and said, sorry, that's the way it's going. You know, and when you, when I heard earlier that it's, these regs are based off of what the current goals and objectives are of CDSW, well, you know, what are those, what are those goals and, and objectives um, for their fish, for the fisheries? Um, you know, down to a, a at a high level. You know, like what what what, what is the out, what's the outcome supposed to be? We're supposed to have more wild fish. Do we need do we have more hatchery fish? Um, more opportunity for people to go fishing, and that's kind of it. Makes me think about like um, and it, you break down, you get down to the anadromous waters, and it gets really um, difficult to to manage. But um, you know, we have a you know Deer Creek here locally. Is an anadromous stream that salmon and, and steelhead still go up into, and, and yet they're still planting, you know, trout in, in that river, which just doesn't seem um, doesn't seem like they should be doing that. I've, and I've talked to mentioned it a couple times to have, um, you know, instead of putting trout in there, why not a hatchery steelhead that came from the Valley River? Um, maybe that maybe it decides to spawn with another steelhead, and those genetics continue, and we have there's more steelhead coming in there. People can still take a, you know, if you look at the regs, they can still take hatchery um, fish if, if they catch them in certain places. Um, so to me, it's, what do you think about that, guys, as far as, uh, I don't know if you followed me on, on that, but um, what's your thoughts well, on, for, on that? First off, I'd say I, I don't envy their job as managers. I mean, it's a really <laughs> tough position. It's a really tough yeah. position to be in, in, in this state right now. There's just, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of, you know, conflicting interests. There's a lot of biological information to take into account. And so, you know, to give them credit, it's a tough, it's a tough job. It's a tough position to be in. And in the meantime, they're getting hounded by the public because everybody's got an opinion. Um, 
but yeah, you know, when it, when it comes to, you know, planting in, in places where there's anatomy, it's, it's, um, there's, there's definitely a lot of, uh, opinions and information on that. And I think, you know, overall it's, it's coming out that, um, hatchery genetics are not the best thing to be putting into the system, but, you know, you also got to balance the needs, the socioeconomic needs of those communities where, like I said, fisheries have developed around those places, you know, going back many, many years, it's hard to just all of a sudden, you know, stop that or put a clamp on it. And so it's hard finding, um, you know, a balancing point of, of, uh, having fishing opportunities still for people and, and then, you know, protecting our, um, native salmonids and native, you know, genetics, which is a tough task in and of itself. And, um, you know, as you saw in the last few years, the department, uh, went from the Department of Fish and Game to the Department of Fish and Wildlife because they're trying to take on a more conservation minded role. And, you know, they do have a wild trout program that's, you know, based on just, uh, protecting our native salmonids and, you know, they're using some hatcheries more for conservation hatcheries to protect and expand native species, not just, you know, planting fish for people to, catch and keep and so they're they're definitely evolving in their um business model and you know uh, hopefully it, it continues to be guided by science and you know like the, the real like one of the places this, this issue has really come to the forefront is on the Klamath you know where they're going to take the four dams on the main stem and then there's a lot of debate over whether or not to maintain a hatchery on the Klamath or to, just to let it go back to wild um, you know, whether we use that hatchery as a conservation hatchery for coho or, you know, and, and steelhead and, and chinooks or just, to let the system go back to wild. And so there's a lot, a lot on the table there and a lot of debate, you know, open in that, um, realm right now. So that's a tough did one. You, did you guys, did you guys happen to listen to John McMillan on the Trout Unlimited, um, live feed that was just, that just, was out yesterday. I think it was yesterday or the day before. Did you guys happen to listen to that at all? Or? I haven't yet. I was I was on the um, fish and wildlife call yesterday and then busy yeah. meetings. And yeah, it was pretty interesting. This, uh, you know, here you have the senior advisor. You know, John McMillan is who's again obviously more passionate about wild steelhead than probably anybody on this planet. And and um, they were talking about the Elwha, which is you know they're removing dams and. and I'm uh, trying to bring that river back. And the question came up is, is there a place, you know, for hatcheries, a uh, hatchery on this river? You know, what the heck, if we're trying to bring back these wild strain of steelhead, you know, why is there even a hatchery being put, put on it? And it goes back to what you said, Mikey, and, you know, the native Americans, that's, you know, that's their livelihood. That's just their tradition. And, and that's, you know, one of the only places they have, a, you know, you could go down the road to some other fisheries that, that won't have that hatchery, you know, and maintain a, a wild population of steelhead, but it gets very di- um, dicey and dynamic when you start talking about all those different, um, you know, options in, that are in front of the, the regulators. Um, but it was cool to hear that, you know, that they took this dam down and, and they had a lot of concern about the summer run of steelhead coming back and they found, and it's not quite known yet but through genetics they're they're finding that the trout that inhabited the, the water above these dams are key to the the repopulation of these summer run steelhead the trout are actually helping create more wild steelhead and in returning the, in, in, the in the summers which i thought is, is super cool and we've talked about it on a previous episode of our podcast how a trout you know trout can fall on the trout and make a steelhead or 
trout with a steelhead and make a trout or a steelhead. I mean, there's just a, it's pretty neat that the, that those genetics are, are helping to bring back that, that fishery. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. Nick. Can yeah. You guys hear there's me? a lot of science. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Ted. Hey, guys. Ted? Yeah, hey. Um, sorry. I had another call, but that was, yeah, that's a cool point, Nick. And, and I guess what is the implication there that those genetics that are above the dam are kind of locked, like locked genetically steelhead genetics that, that, and that's why they're trying to bring them back below the dam. It's just, it, it had the, there was a kill rate of like 95%, I think due to the sediment that was coming down, but the fish that survived, yeah, those genetics um, are, are again, just a key to the, the, the fish coming back in, in better numbers. It's and, like and they're that. not hundred percent sure they're still, yeah, those rainbow trout have the ability to, above the vaults, have the ability to go out the, into the ocean and become, yeah. quote-unquote, steelhead and uh, pass their genetics along. Yeah, and it's like that dam's almost like a time capsule for that genetic string that used to, you know, arrange that entire spot before they got locked up, right? Yeah, and I, yeah I totally. I've imagined there's some populations of, you know, rainbows locked in some of our little creeks up here that are um, a lot more genetically intact than the Central Valley steelhead we have now, which, you know, their gene pool has been fairly convoluted over the years from yeah. different, you know, hatchery infusions into that system. And I'd, I'd bet that there is some, um, some, some great genetics locked in some of these little creeks, you know, and some of these no-name streams. Uh, up here in the foothills that uh, have been locked away and not stocked for a long time. And there's definitely some cool little populations of, of great genetics that are hiding out here that um, flying under the radar. And so that was kind of another argument um, against the kind of going year round five fish limits, you know, that, that, that just kind of open up all those little creeks to year round harvest and, and, you know, heavy um, bag limits. So, it's nice to have yeah. some refugia for those fish uh, with this new current proposal. Yeah, it really goes back to what we were just saying, right? About you know, yeah, you can you can keep those fish, but should you? <laughs> you know, like when you if you think about like the genetic life history of that you know lakefront trout could potentially you know create create um, a wild steelhead you know somewhere else. It's just it's pretty amazing to think about, you know. Yeah, the ethical question about that. <laughs> right, right. I want to have a geneticist on our show and yeah. talk, talk to him more about that from UC Davis. I think that's going to be a, a podcast coming out here pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot that can be said about that. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of, you know, um, great opinions that we could take our hatcheries that produce salmon um, and move them down further down on the system so that you could catch the hatchery run fish coming back lower in the system, you know, maybe even right at the river mouths and then let wild fish utilize the remaining habitat um, above there, you know, as much as possible. And so, yeah, there's, there's a ton that can, that can uh, happen there, but it's a, it's an evolving process, you know, that's going to take a long time to, and that, you know, I don't, I don't think we really need to dive much into that. Let's kind of stick with our, um, right, right now. <laughs> Did you guys want to add anything else to, to what we've been 
uh, talking about. I know Chad, you just kind of came in. We're kind of, I think, getting to the end of our, our yeah. discussion on on the reg changes. I, I, I right. think, um, I think we covered it. Yeah, that you guys wanted to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I do because since this this episode's going to air tomorrow, which is going to be like is today the sixteenth, so it'll air on the seventeenth. Um, the reason I want to drop it sooner than later, normally we have a, a two week lead. Typically, um, we did we did record a bunch of episodes yesterday um, with the CDFW, the Game Commission, and their, the public hearing that that wasn't a, a complete circus this time. Um, that's a three part series. It's it's up there now, but um, it it uh, it's something you guys should take a listen to. Um, not only I think more so to kind of like one point Mike was making when I first jumped in is the extreme challenge that all of our, our state and federal agencies have that deal with water around here and the, and the, the things that inhabit that water um, in terms of managing stakeholders and stakeholder needs. If you take the time and listen to this almost like three hours of content and just listen to all the people that called in yesterday and their perspectives and what was important to them it kind of it does there's nothing better to illustrate that point that mike was making earlier around the stakeholders and that challenge and and i do tip my hat to them as well on that so that's you know if anything listen to the, the those three hours of episodes um you know because you got nothing better to do right <laughs> we're kind of locked up i guess that's my point anyway um also sorry um also let's see the the SoCal episodes posted today, which will be yesterday for you guys listening. Um, they, they covered Mako sharks on the fly, which was awesome. So Conway and Michelle went through Mako sharks and you know, John, John's episode, his latest one is, uh, the Elwa river that, that Nick was just talking about. So that's episode 13. And then Matt, I think Matt's latest was with, um, I believe with you, Sam, right? I think no. Yeah. No, I, I was his first. I was his first episode. Oh, sorry. Yeah, but well, I, I was, <laughs> was like five weeks ago. <laughs> uh, I guess that's the challenge when you're dealing with the, you know twenty plus episodes a month now. Um, yeah, cast hope and COVID nineteen, and I believe oh he had yeah. on he had on Ryan Johnson, so who's one of the founders of Cast Hope. So that's the lineup for this week. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, I did. I did want to briefly just mention the the final timeline for everybody to hear before we kind of wrap up um, just so you're aware of when, when future comment can be put in. Um, so for the rate change document and the future commission's meeting, the next one's going to be on June 24th and 25th. So the request to go to notice. And then from there, there's going to be a 45 day public comment period. So we begin after that meeting. So that's going to be a really important time um, for anybody to make any final comments on the document. And then, August 19th and 20th would be the one after that. And that would just be for the discussion of the proposed regulation change meeting um, to take into effect. And then the October 14th and 15th Fish and Game Commission meeting would be the discussion or final discussion and possible adoption of the proposed regulation changes. Um, So again, with all of this, um, you know, Trout Unlimited, Caltrout will post up you know, information about these meetings and if there's any other additional action steps that you can take regarding the regulation change documents. And then you guys may have covered this yeah, while I was gone, but all this, you know, all the public hearing stuff, it sounds like it wraps up in October. And then when are the regulations actually updated and put into effect? Did you 
Did you answer that question already? If you did, just tell me to go back to my cave. I believe it would be the um, next regulation change uh, or next inland trout or freshwater document, which would be 21 then. in January uh, 2021. Okay, thanks. Do you guys have any recommendations for our listeners that uh, do you have a comment to make or, you know, you guys have been in the forefront of all this and right, you know, talking to them on one-on-one, but um, is there any, you know, recommendations you guys have to help their comments go maybe a little bit further? Can they, you know, team up with other people or ask for, um, uh, you know, uh, people in the community to, to, go along with their comment. I, I don't know what it is, but do you guys have any recommendations maybe for those folks? I, I can just add one um, small thing here. Um, and that's, that's it. You know, we, we feel that the department really utilized a lot of their management tools um, in, in a, in a pretty fair way to, um, you know, achieve an outcome that, that benefits a great number of their constituents and the pressures that are putting on them from people that want to harvest fish and fish bait and have more fishing opportunities and all that. Uh, the one management tool that wasn't maybe utilized to its full potential was slot limits. And, um, you know, there isn't currently a regulation anywhere in the state that protects trophy trout, you know, anywhere that's open to harvest, um, you're allowed to take the biggest fish in any given system. Um, and, you know, so one thing that we felt, you know, that we kind of advocated for would have been potentially using um, a maximum slot limit on some systems, you know, say rivers, you know, it'd be like 26 or 26 inches or whatever. And so that you would harvest more in the middle because right now there's only minimum slot limits. Um, so, you know, some fisheries have a minimum slot limit of 14 inches, some of a minimum of 8 inches, some of a minimum of 18 inches. Well, I propose to the East Potter saying you can keep fish over 18 inches. Um, and so, you know, in systems like that where they are allowing harvest, you know, it, it, it could be um, a beneficial tool to put in a maximum problem for some of those and, and just encourage people to, eat, to harvest more in the middle and to eat those fish and then to, you know, let those more trophy sized fish go um, and stay in the system. And so, that is one thing that we kind of advocated for a little bit because um, at the time they still had it written that, you know, the statewide regs was going to go to year round fishing, five fish limits, no gear restrictions as the blanket reg. And so um, we felt like there was nothing to protect um, broodstock, you know, and trophy fish. And it would still be great on some of the fisheries that they felt like if they're going to allow harvest on the truckie of two fish, um, why not have a maximum spot limit? Cause there's places that are catch and release and, you know, have trophy fish, but there's less trophy fish because those fisheries have to support every cohort of fish in between. And so if you're going to allow harvest, there would actually be more, you know, habitat and room to um, potentially support a larger number of uh, trophy fish. You know, if you could take fish from 8 to 24 inches, there'd be more opportunity to have a few 30-inch fish system, which would just be a huge draw for anglers. Um, from across the state and potentially across the country or even the world that, you know, you could create these trophy trout fisheries, you know, you could imagine the economic draw and the lure of these places would be pretty incredible. Um, so just, you know, that was one thing we considered. And then just last thing too would be, uh, if you all do want to put in comments beforehand or before the June meeting, um, just go to the Inland Trout Regulation Simplification page on, on CDFW's website 
and you can find some contact information there. I would stress again, if you ever put comments in, make sure they're respectful, uh, make sure that they're, um, you know, well, well thought out and, and put down. And I think that's the best, the best possible step for any future comment is again, to avoid any, any situation like the, uh, initial uh, emergency meeting closure or emergency closure meeting had. Yeah. Did you guys talk about that and give it, give it a little. Talk? <laughs> yeah. We, All right. The, uh, I just want, I want yeah. the, if there's any people that are, you know, state and federal agencies listening to this show, I want, please don't think that the entire fishing community like that. I don't want those, uh, few fetuses and they are fetus brains to um you know to, to kind of muddy what you guys think of the overall community um <laughs> there's more people that support you than don't it's just the ones that don't are more vocal i think so anyway yeah i just wanted to make yeah that. and I, i'd encourage you to look, look through this latest document i mean there's a lot of wins for um you know for anglers in general in there whether you're a I agree, or a conservation-minded angler, and so this this latest document is, um, I think, a big improvement over the first, uh, you know, the first draft that came out, and there's been several iterations in between. So, um, you know, credit cool. where credit's due, and the department's doing a good job of listening to people and yeah. adapting their strategy. Yeah, we've talked, and we might have mentioned this before, but you know, um, the steelhead population, this wild steelhead population in California, is, is doing well. You know, we we still have some great steelhead fishing going on, and a lot of that's because we've changed some of these rivers to catch and release only, and you know, and you know, taking a wild steelhead. And when you look at other states like Oregon and Washington that are still harvesting wild steelhead and seeing numbers. You know, I mean, this is a whole nother discussion, but um, anyway, that's, I think that um, we're moving in the right direction. I think it's great. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing the outcome and, and working with everybody to make sure. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, and I guess. Go ahead. I was going to say, and, I, and again, thanks to, you know, all those people that have already commented and made their voice heard. And also um, a, a thanks again to CSW for allowing us to have this comment period and, and chat about that and have a, you know, respectful discussion about rig changes in California. Cause I think this is again, a, a good process to go about whenever something like uh, fishing and the health of our wild and native trout fisheries um, comes into, comes into light. Awesome guys. Well, thank you so much for all your time and, and help and, um appreciate appreciate it very much you guys are on the front lines for us and we can't thank you enough so thank you guys and thank and we'll have you back on for maybe an update um uh, to just inform our listeners on what's what's going on chad did you want to add anything else no i think i've added enough non-value for one session <laughs> well just one one more time uh don't forget may 1st at 7 p.m um cal trout hosting their annual gala and auction gala and auction um, and everybody's invited and there's currently a silent, uh, Austin open now. And where can they find that Mikey? Where can they go to, to get that information? Is it the caltrout.org forward slash trout camp 2020 yep. link? Yeah, I believe that's the link. And, um, yeah, I definitely encourage you to get on there check out some of those auction items. we got some great, uh, guide trips been donated by, you know, plethora guides around the state. We've got a bunch of killer artwork and, um, you know, fine wine and, and fine art and, 
um, other fun trips, you know, culinary experiences and whatnot. And that's, so I encourage you to check that out. And again, those funds, you know, really help us out uh, to continue to advocate for our, you know, conservation minded anglers and our wild trout fisheries. You know, we, we feel that it's the true natural heritage of this landscape, that it's um, an trout producing ecosystem. And, you know, we want to value and, you know, honor that legacy of this landscape and, continue to uh advocate for sustainable um you know fisheries and fishing experiences so thanks thanks again awesome guidelines everybody special thanks to our sponsors without them this show would not be possible like this episode leave a review grab some gear or become a patreon supporter links are in this episode's description this show is part of the barbless podcast network for sponsorship inquiries or general questions please email fish on at barbless.co no better fish better this has been an amp audio production